You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 173, covering Second Skin and The Abandoned with Brian Lynch. Hi, friends. We're back. Brian's here with us this time. I'm Say here with hello, us this Brian. time. Yes. Hey, you Brian. We're here. And we're here to discuss what is not a sequel to the Armis episode. It's not Second Skin of Evil, like I thought it Bless. was. Like we all Just, hoped hey, it was. Yeah. Hey, guys, it's me, the Second Skin of Evil. Where Kira wakes up and discovers that she's Armis. <laughs> and has been Armis this whole time. I could have never seen I'm this coming. talking like this. Well, it, it makes about as much sense as everyone being a Cylon. Well, <laughs> actually, that would work out. Uh, that would work out pretty well for Odo. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, they could they could do some creepy link. Wow, that that is a mental image I could have done without. <laughs> I love you, Kara. Let's get sloppy together. It's just like a weird great link between yep. Odo and Armis. Because ah. yep. <laughs> I I picture it being sort of like an oil and water thing where they don't exactly meld. No. Like there's a lot of like weird spirally pools that don't combine and ah. Yep. Gross. And then they make a kid called Otis. <laughs> and he goes to work for Mr. Luthor. I was just... The, <laughs> the, the Otis music started playing in my head when, as soon as he said that. I ask you to kill Superman. No, 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 no. That's uh, that's that's uh, from 3. That's the fake Lex Luthor. No, oh, whatever. Where's oh, Irish yeah. Gav when we need him? He's writing us a letter right now. I'm talking about Superman 3. Dear sirs, he'll write. Yes, probably. <laughs> Thusly. Thusly. But that is not what this episode is about. It's about something else. Matt, why don't you tell me what it actually... Tell, tell them, too. Tell all of us. All right. Let's all talk about Second Skin. Ooh. So Kira interrupts Quark's creepy attempts to hit on Dax so that the two of them can go hollow random sci-fi activity on a random sci-fi planet when she herself is interrupted by a Bajoran survey. <sighs> Always when you're just about to go do something. So the Bajoran government has a couple of questions for Kira about her time that she spent in a Cardassian prison camp during the occupation. Which is all fine and good, except that Kira was never in that particular prison camp. Uh, now, if this was me, I'd already be assuming that my own memory of my own life was wrong in favor of what was written down on some computer, uh, but I'd also make a pretty shitty terrorist due to not believing in anything, so, you know, whatever. Kira heads out to Bajor to investigate, but she never quite makes it, instead awakening on Cardassia Prime in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife, wondering, how did I get here? She's then approached by the Obsidian Order agent Entek. Entek explains that Kira was herself an agent of the Order, and in reality, a surgically altered Cardassian named Ileana Rasputin. She's been in deep cover on DS9, but it's time for her to come home now and be debriefed. Of course, Kira doesn't believe a word of this because it's dumb, and also because she saw face of the enemy and knows how easy this plastic surgery crap is. Entek then introduces her to her supposed father, Legate Gamor, Gamor, excuse me, who just wants his kid back. Gamor is desperately trying to help her regain her memory before the Order starts resorting to physically torturing Kira. Uh, the fact that the Order has been working on Kira for two days and only been psychologically torturing her is surprising enough as it is. Gamor vows to help Kira off the planet and reveals his contacts in the Cardassian Resistance. Uh, it's then that Kira puts two and two together and realizes that she was never Entek's, car Entek's target, Gamor was. By helping her escape, he reveals himself as a traitor to Cardassia. Luckily, at this point, Sisko, Odo, and Garrick arrives to save the day and for Garrick to be incredibly badass. Everybody escapes, bringing Gamor along and returning safely to DS9. Afterwards, Gamor leaves some parting advice with Kira, whom he has grown fond of. Whatever you do, don't trust Garrick. Also, water is wet, the sky is blue, and jamming a knife into your own hand really hurts. Okay, a couple of things. First of all, 
Uh, always when you're just about to go do something. Is that a telemarketer reference? Yes. All right. Always when you're just about to go do something. And and also, I don't think uh, Cisco ever puts two and two together. <laughs> what is that, six? Hey, he does. We're just not guaranteeing what he winds up with. Well, no. okay. I can do this. Math is okay. I'm fine. If I have two beans and then I put two more beans, what do I have? Some beans. <laughs> Jambalaya. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode... Okay, we've seen this premise before, as you point out. Yes. But uh, I, I don't know. There's there's some good stuff going on in here, I the suppose. The thing is that this episode isn't about Kira being a Cardassian. No, it's about this intrigue on Cardassia. This, this yeah. Obsidian like, Order versus the... the intrigue. Uh, yeah, the that's the interesting command. part. Right. The, I don't the, the fact that Kira is a Cardassian never even like Well I she never believes for, like, it a... for a second. Yeah, exactly. I just I mean this this will just go into my bad thing. This made even less sense than Troy being a secret Romulan or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I actually liked the Cardassian story and I liked the relationship between Kira and her fake dad. Mm-hmm. But bringing her into it just like it didn't make sense at all like okay so they no. kidnap a prominent bajoran mm-hmm. well known in the sector yes. I, I surgically alter her make her think she's a cardassian counting well on the fact that she will never her think anti romulan activities by the way i just wanted to insert that so a- anti anti cardassian yeah or anti cardassian yeah. i mean i'm sure she is anti romulan what show, what show are we watching anyway sorry didn't mean to <laughs> No, you're you're right. Like, and I mean, and they were counting on the fact that she would resist, but it still seems like a big chance to take. Yeah. Like the thing is, if you can make someone a new species, you can make someone look like someone else. Yeah, you could just take a Cardassian agent, a, a, someone yeah. already in the Obsidian Order, to act exactly the way you want, mm. and be less unpredictable that way. Yeah, I imagine yeah. it would be easier to make a Cardassian look like another Cardassian than to find a somewhat similar-looking Bajoran and. Yeah, because that. that ended up being the reason they chose Kira is because she resembles his daughter. Like, but yeah. they so completely changed her that we only recognized her because of like her eyes. Yeah. So yeah, I I don't know. That was that was my bad thing. There was, there was was there to yell out who she was. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> that was our that was our big teaser image. Was she she sees on the screen this image of the the, the woman in the, the prison, and uh, yeah, Dax needs to tell us who it is because we, uh-huh. we can't tell otherwise. I guess that wasn't a big enough exclamation point for the for the teaser. This episode contains dis- descriptive viewing for the vision impaired. <laughs> the Sierra Lofton does not appear in this episode. Uh, they also have Dax yell that at you. Yes. But, uh, t- you know, a- apart from the ridiculous contrivance, there was a lot of good stuff. I mean, we, we do enjoy a good Cardassian cloak and dagger story, sir. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Brian, what was your good thing? Uh, my good thing was um, the uh, um, a lot of the actors they hire to play Cardassian. I guess is more a good thing for the whole series, but it shows up quite prominently in this episode. Is that uh, the actors they hire to play senior Cardassians are always uh, these sort of beefy, thick-set guys, mm-hmm. and it really drives home because Cardassians in general, like the uh, the the you know the the rank and file, tend towards the scrawny gold Ducat types. They're very so when, sinewy, very very yeah, sort very of good. lean. Yeah, and... they, they they hire people with long necks and narrow faces. Right. And so when you see the leaders being these sort of hefty guys, it's sort of, it really drives home the, uh, you know, the image of their planet that there's, you know, the people who are in charge of the central command and the Obsidian Order. Those are the people who have the money and the power and the leisure time and yeah. the extra food. Well, and it's it's sort of visual shorthand for, like, the powerful people in, in our country are, you know, fat white guys. Mm-hmm. Like, when you when you think of sort of older, corrupt, powerful people... You think of older fat people. That's just yep. mm. that's just how it goes, and and yeah, it's it, it works really well. But I would say overall, like 
I've rarely seen a miscast Cardassian. They they just everyone they cast and the the Obsidian Order guy too. Oh yeah, he was he was great. Oh, they he had, was so good. Yeah, they, like, they and and he was also like a big guy, but it was more like sort of like a looming type. He mm. he had more of a Garrick look to him, where yeah. he, he was, was he it's like he wasn't thick, he was tall. Right. But but same similar look to Garrick, where he was sort of mm. thin and wiry, and also with crazy eyes, like yeah, like that's the Obsidian Order type. Love to see Gowron play a uh, Cardassian. <laughs> well, he's got the eyes for it. Yeah, he does. Um, but it's good when you have someone like with that much like uh, makeup. You you want someone with like expressive eyes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, maybe not so expressive that you could fall into them. <laughs> that sounds but very romantic. On. But if you were to look at these two characters next to each other and, and just say one of these is the Obsidian Order, one of them is the Central Command, you would immediately know. Well, obviously I, the creepy, sneaky-looking guy is the spy. Let's see, see, the I, guy I wearing black is the I just wait for Dax to point it out to me. Well, that too. What's that, Matt? I just wait for Dax to point it out to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's you! Oh. <laughs> You're in the Obsidian Order. You're in the Central <laughs> Command. Where's Jake? <laughs> O'Brien also doesn't appear in this episode. I guess originally I it was going to be about does, him. Does Bashir? Uh, yeah, he does. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was because they do the thing. Yeah, the Garrick the, stuff. Yeah. You can't have Garrick without Bashir. No, and in <laughs> fact, I, I had a note that uh, Bashir's getting better at sussing out what Garrick's talking about. Like, he's still not good at it. No. But he seems to be, he's not as oblivious and not as, you're a spy! Like, he's he's starting to get a Kinda little helps better. helps that Garrick's getting a little more casual with admitting that he's yeah. a spy. Uh, yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, they've well, he never flat out says it though. That was the tip off in the last one. But I mean, they've been on enough spy missions with him at this point that he can't completely yeah. deny it. <laughs> yeah, they went and met an Abrantane. Like you can't just say, "Oh, well, no, that was uh, that was a coincidence." I just happen to know that guy because we're in the same uh, book club. Yeah, he, he must be Although thinking they're... of R.M. Garrick. <laughs> yeah. Although there's that 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 great line in this one where they're they get stopped at the Cardassian border. Oh yeah. And there's someone about to board the ship and. Garrick's just like I'm uh on entry code three seven four black. Turn your ship around. Yeah, and the and the captain uh, of the other ship is like, oh shit. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Sorry, bye, bye, yep. please don't kill me. Surprised yep. they haven't changed the code since Garrick started. Uh, that's true. Well, I be I believe he's still got his ear to the ground. Like I think he's still plugged into some of that stuff. He still gets the newsletter. Yeah. <laughs> Beca and and yeah, his line is, uh, I, "This is something I picked up uh, hemming somebody's trousers." Oh, it's, it's it's amazing what you overhear when you're working on someone's pants. Uh huh. Is that the, what uh, it is, Garrick? Just some Cardassian guy who's like, "All right, this week's access goes. Don't forget him. Don't forget him." He's like second himself off this whole time. <laughs> Can you knit these into my pants? Yeah, three nine five four alpha three nine five four alpha three. What's that you're saying? Oh, it's access codes. Shh, don't listen. <laughs> Are you finished with my cuffs yet? I gotta go. <laughs> I want him to look as lizardy as possible. Are you finished sharpening my shoulders yet? Yeah. This will really enhance your crotch arrow. <laughs> Everyone's got a crotch arrow. That's just an Alpha Quadrant thing. That's not yep. just a Cardassian thing. Crotch arrow. What's your bad thing? Brian. Oh, my bad thing. I thought you were asking Matt. No, no, um, no. Well, my bad thing, this is a super minor thing, but I had always assumed that the blue on Cardassian women's heads was makeup that they wore. In the spoon, yeah. Yeah, but um, when Kira wakes up and she's on the ship and she's, like, really haggard and it's like she's obviously supposed to be, she's got the blue on her head already, so it's like they surgically altered her and then they applied some cosmetics. Yep. So I guess it's either that or Cardassian women just have blue in their foreheads. I don't know, maybe some do. Maybe it's like uh, some people have naturally red lips and some people wear mm. lipstick. 
I suppose. See, my first thought when she woke up was, oh, it's nice of them to put makeup on her, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, they put her in clothes. They did her hair. Like, I, yeah, I, gonna I figure they... are going to want feel pretty when she wakes up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or you, It'll help her acclimatize. You, you want her to at least match the picture as closely as possible. Mm -hmm. And if the, the chick was wearing makeup in the picture, then you kind of have to, you know... She I, had a little I blue on one of her neck things, also. Hmm. Yep. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's makeup, because I'm pretty That's sure the... we've seen some of them without it. Yeah, I've never seen a Cardassian uh, male with it. Yeah, yeah, and but offhand, I can't think of um, seeing a Cardassian woman without it. The judge had it in that one episode, and mm -hmm. yeah, but I mean, they're all you know, like like well put together women who are yeah, you know true. Who I'm would be wearing makeup? Uh, I'm still wondering why Cardassians don't have beards anymore. Oh yeah, well that was just that one weird one where where fake Gul Dukat was hanging around, and they were fairly trustworthy. Had his little racial mm. ghoul beard. Yeah, there were that was like proto Cardassians. They weren't they weren't quite there yet. Sort of like the proto Trill on Next Gen. Same same mm. deal. Not exactly there yet. Not right. No. Nope. Not right. Nope. Uh, and they wore those weird helmets. They don't wear anymore. Oh yeah. I'm really glad they stopped those. wearing those weird helmets. Those are not good helmets. No, hey, no. Really. They're very vital for protecting your nose and cheekbones. <laughs> the uh the the fighting Cardassians football team. <laughs> da, 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 da. We've got to get to the big game, Commander. Commander. He's wearing, waving one of those pennants, wearing one of those big fur coats. <laughs> go team, go. Yep. Uh, Matt, good thing. Uh, I like Kira in this. I just I love watching her put everything together, like figuring out what the City and Order's actually after. I also love that she spends the entire episode just going, nope. Yeah, there's, nope. ne there's never that Brandon Braga moment where she's like, well, maybe I am a Cardassian. Yeah. Like, never. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. It's like I said, she's not like me. She won't take anyone's word for it right away. Well, the thing about Star Trek is it could, like, you know, if something happens to turn reality on its ear, it's possible that's true. Yep. It's possible someone fucked with your memory. It's possible someone changed history. Like, there's a million mm -hmm. ways this could have happened. Yeah, the, as soon as she sees the corpse for the first time, it's like, oh, it's a hologram. It's a clone. Yeah. No, she says... A All of these things are possible. She says hologram. Hologram. That must be a hologram. Like, what? <laughs> I guess they don't have them on Bajor, like in the in the refugee camps. So mm. she's she's just learned the word. It's a hologram of a Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, sweetie, O's. We want O's in things. Oh, O's and A's. Yeah, there you go. Fine, but it's a hologram. <laughs> hologram. I can't take you anywhere, Kira. <laughs> Not to Cardassia. I That's just again, again, I gotta stress how ridiculous this whole plot was. Like, I could see a million places this could go wrong. <laughs> I mean, we talked about this. Cardassians really like elaborate schemes. Yeah, and I think, Brian, yeah, you're the Vulcans one who brought have, up the... Vulcans uh... have uh, logic. Klingons have honor. Cardassians have needlessly elaborate ploys that involve all sorts of unrelated parties and attempts to embarrass their political enemies. And nobody doesn't like Ned Flanders. Mm -hmm. And meticulous filing techniques. Don't forget that. Yes. Well, that's at the beginning of the episode when they're talking about Kira's in the records for this for this prison thing. I was like, well, that that's an open and shut case. If the Cardassian records say it, it must be true. Yeah. Yep. Like that was my immediate assumption, not even being ironic there. Like, well, if the if the Cardassian records say it, we know that's been established. That I guess yep, I guess fact. yeah. If you were going to pick the Cardassians' actual racial thing, like everybody has on Star Trek, it would probably be efficiency. Yeah, it, or like smugness. The, well, well, I mean, the thing is, on that planet, if you're not efficient, you're going to get killed. So it's the whole cloak and dagger, like Orwellian state, like that that whole vibe. Mm -hmm. The thing is, I, I've said this before, it feels like that's what they wanted to do with the Romulans, and it never quite took off, and it works so yeah. much better for these guys. Yeah, absolutely. Because the, the Romulans are all the time... The thing is unfulfilled potential. 
Yeah. They're they're always like trying to assassinate Praetors and like cloning Picard for secret plans and like all this weird shit and it just doesn't come off as well as as it does for the no. Cardassians. Which is the, which uh, is too bad. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, they they have done a great job of fleshing out this this culture and we're only 3 years into the show and it feels they feel just as established as the Klingons of the Vulcans at this point. Oh yeah, we know so yeah. much about the Cardassians now. Yeah. Which, I was surprised you, going back through Next Generation that they didn't do as much with Cardassians as I remembered. They actually well, did more than I remembered. Like it was the opposite for me. Like I don't, I didn't remember the Cardassians being such a big part of the second half of Next Gen. But they were, mm. they, they showed up at like at least once a season. Yeah, they like they really sort of forgot about the Romulans in favor of the Cardassians I, by the end. I kind of my memory was that they sort of jammed them into Next Gen once or twice to to help prop up DS Nine. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But they they were in it more than that. But you're right; they weren't. You know, like a like Next Gen didn't have any one major, you know, recurring villain. Regardless, well, except yeah, for the Borg. Yeah, but everybody showed up about once a season. And as sad mm. as it might make you, the Borg are actually Voyager's main villain. Yeah, and and they're uh, I yeah I'm aware. Original like, series had Klingons. Uh, DS Nine has Cardassians, and uh, yeah. Voyager has Borg, and Enterprise has some garbage. I don't care. <laughs> The Zindi. Isn't it like the, the aligned planets that yeah, all are exactly no, no, like it was, Earth it was, animals? It was, it was five sentient races that evolved yeah. on a single planet. Yeah, so but they're like all the just people, like Earth the animals. The people, the bug people. And then and the, the giraffe first people. season, it was the time-traveling lizard aliens. Ah, uh, was of basically the Taliban. Yeah. That was that was an unfortunately like timed Zaliban thing. Or something. No, it was the Sulaban, I remember. Sulaban, there we go. Oh my god, really? Yeah, yes. but, but... That was unfortunate coincidence because the Enterprise uh, pilot premiered two weeks after 9-11. Oh, yeah, they, they not... couldn't have known when they were filming no. it that uh, all of a sudden we were going to wind up going into Afghanistan. Yeah. Ah. No, I, I specifically remember that because I remember The Onion making the joke <laughs> about, uh, you know, the, the strange fantasy world where we're fighting uh, an alien, you know, an enemy called the Sulaban. <laughs> it was like, yep, that sounds about right. Uh, Matt, what was your bad thing? Um... This is this one was weird. Uh, the Cardassian makeup in this, to me, looked very off. Like, I've seen tons of Cardassians on DS9, and none of them ever looked as orangey-pink as everyone did in this one. They were a lot less um, chalky than usual, yeah. They really are. And then you would cut back to Garrick, and he would look fine. I think, didn't we determine part of the way through that that was more the lighting? I think it might have been the lighting. Like, it was a very sort of rose-colored room. Yeah, I'm surprised the yeah. Cardassians had so much, like, nice soft lighting on there. The whole, yeah, uh, the whole room usually very, uh, looks unusually comfortable for a Cardassian. I think, yeah. I think that was the point. I think, like, the you know, again, the fat, comfortable bureaucrat uh, probably has a... chairs and his round coffee table. He can, yeah. he can afford things that aren't gray. Right. And he, and he shops at, at, you know, the, the novelty furniture store with, uh, like, tables that don't have surfaces. <laughs> yeah. Like it was where, a weird table that was full of holes. Yeah, it was, and had a pillow. It, it, on it looked more like a globe than a table. Like you, yeah. you couldn't set anything on it, but, except uh, for a pillow. Right, because it was conformed to the shape of it. Now, now you're just painting a picture in my head of Globy from uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Hey, Globy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was just the Cardassian version of Pee Wee's Playhouse. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, now I'm picturing the Cardassian Pee Wee's Playhouse. It's amazing. It's all like today's secret word of the day is conformity. Yep. Ah! <laughs> the, the legend of cartoons shows up. <laughs> I'm just picturing that establishing shot of Cardassia with Pee Wee on the monitor, just like, you know, doing his little head bop. Like, yep. Ah! Well, if you love the Central Command so much, why don't you marry it? <laughs> 
I wish I could. <laughs> oh, look, it's Gull Carl. <laughs> <laughs> and it would be uh, it would be Lawrence Fishburne as a Cardassian. That would be fantastic. Which would be great. Yes. And Blackula. <laughs> Wait, what? The King of Cartoons was played by the guy that played Blackula. Oh, wow. Oh, my God, yeah. he was. That's why he's like six foot eight. Was oh, my God. I wasn't either. And then you said it's like, oh, of course, they look exactly the same. Because that's actually, actually, I, that guy was actually like a really good actor. I was going to say my, yeah. my memory of the King of Cartoons was him being a white guy. So that made even less sense. <laughs> no, he definitely like a, wasn't. A white guy no, played no. Blackula? What? <laughs> yeah. I don't know who I'm thinking of then. That was, there was uh, William Marshall. He was good. He was on, um, uh, uh, which way? He was on uh, uh, TOS also. The, he was on the original. He played um, really? uh, Daystrom. He was Richard Daystrom. Oh, nice. Yeah. I like that episode quite a lot. Actually. Yeah, he was like an opera singer. He's The guy had like the weirdest career. Huh. And, and then um, he became the king of cartoons. He's, uh, um, whatchamacallit, he's uh, Paul Winfield's cousin. Huh. Wow. Paul Winfield was the uh, the, the Darmok guy. Yeah, yeah, Dathan oh. and uh, Chekhov's captain in uh, Rapid yeah. Con. Right, right, right. Here's your weird connect. I feel like Memory Alpha. <laughs> They're always telling you who was in one thing for one scene with. Yeah, with someone else from Star Trek yeah. who was also in a thing. I checked an All actor right. from um, uh, the next episode because his voice sounded familiar, and they're like, he starred in American Beauty with Scott Bakula. And I'm like, Scott Bakula didn't star in American Beauty. He was in no. like two scenes. <laughs> and this guy didn't, definitely didn't star in American Beauty. He played the firing range guy. <laughs> Scott Bakula is so fucking bland, though, he probably played the plastic bag in uh, American <laughs> Beauty. I disagree. I don't think Scott Bakula could move that nicely. Yeah, fair point. Well, then, no, they uh, intentionally cast him to be as bland as possible. He was um, one of the two uh, gay guys that were intentionally designed to be, like, the most boring couple in the world. Oh, yeah. So, perfect casting. Yeah, fair enough. Now I just want to see uh, Kevin Spacey from um, House of Cards just, like, uh Fighting murder. Bakula? Yes. Yes. Yeah, or, yeah. or Bakula. <laughs> Scott Blackula. Yeah, Scott Blackula. <laughs> the king of cartoons. <laughs> the ca the count of cartoons. Oh Thank right. You. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't wanna I don't wanna uh violate anybody's like uh, royal claim <laughs> or anything. That guy's obviously the uh the proper king, like you know, he's been coronated and everything. Well and Blackula oh, yeah. Blackula wasn't a count, he was a prince. Oh. Yes, of course he was. He was the African prince. Yeah, Prince M Mamualde? Did they did, did they go with the Prince of Darkness thing? I hope his, not. Uh, no. <laughs> okay, good. Black Hill, I'm going to say this guy. Black Hill is actually a surprisingly good movie. I really like, want to see Black Hill. I haven't been able to find a, a copy They anywhere. put like a surprising amount of effort into it. It's it's no uh, you know Blackenstein or Doctor Black and Mister Hyde. It's uh, not <laughs> just a. Uh, and yes, those are both real movies. Wait, Doc. Um, I know Blackenstein is, but Doctor Black and Mister Hyde. Really? Yeah, he turns, yeah he's, a, he's, he's a white guy who turns into a black guy. No, no, no. Oh, the other way around. God. So he's a black guy that turns into an albino. Really? Yes. Wow. I was gonna say because otherwise, I think I saw that movie. It was uh, the jazz singer with Al Jolson. Oh God. Or the jazz singer with Neil Diamond. Yes. Wait, <laughs> I don't what? remember that from my monster encyclopedia. What Al Jolson? Yeah. History's greatest monster. <laughs> History's greatest monster. <laughs> Well, uh, wasn't um, wasn't Brendan Fraser in those series of Mammy movies? <laughs> yes, that was a reach. I know. I loved wow. it though. <laughs> so back to this episode. What the fuck were we talking about? Uh, people who are actually one race, but actually a different race, which is oh, what this episode right. is about. Ah, there we go. <laughs> See well, that I'm actually good at segues. I just uh, 
I like to step on my own foot yeah. when I do them. Um, my good thing was, yes. okay, so we talked about this way back at the beginning of Next Gen with the outrageous Okana, <laughs> where you had all these characters talking about how cool another character was, but you never really saw evidence of it, and it was just like, ugh, I, I don't buy it. I don't care. Like, saying he's outrageous doesn't make him outrageous. Show, don't tell. But yeah. the fact that we've seen Garrick be cool repeatedly, like just do really interesting things and really cool stuff, and now we see the way Cardassians react to him, like his reputation adds to it now. Yeah. Like hearing, like every Cardassian who reacts to him or interacts with him is just like, it makes you even more interested in what the hell's going, like why are they treating him that way? Why is it mm -hmm. like, why is the big speech at the end, don't trust Garrick, he'll, you know, he'll shoot you in the back. Like, I want to know more now. Like, Oh they, no, it's Garrick, he's so cool. He doesn't play by anyone's rules but his own. But hearing that after we don't see him play by anybody's rules and yes, being, yeah. being a loose cannon is much cooler. And I just, I don't know, they, they did it right. And Riding yeah. around on a skateboard, telling old man Cisco he doesn't care what he says. <laughs> I don't want you hanging out with that Garrett kid. <laughs> He's a bad influence. But dad! <laughs> Remember, doctor, always, ex always recycle. To the extreme! <laughs> Busted! Ah. I have to go now. My home planet needs me. <laughs> well, that might actually That's be actually true. what happened. Yes. <laughs> but it's interesting. He has a discussion with uh, Bashir uh, earlier in the episode where he's like, I, you know, I miss traveling. I wish I could go to other planets. And then Cisco's uh, like, we're going to Cardassia. He's like, oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. In fact, that, that, ends, that, that was your quote, sort of. It is indeed my quote. Please. Uh, yes. Put that here. Commander, this is extortion. Yes, it is. We'll be traveling under false transit documents prepared by Starfleet Intelligence. Mr. O'Brien has reconfigured the shield harmonics of the Defiance so that on long-range sensors will appear to be a Kobarian freighter. We leave in three hours. I'll go along on your fool's errand, but I want one thing to be perfectly clear. I have no intention of sacrificing my life to save yours. If it looks like we're in danger of being captured, if there's any sign of trouble at all, you're on your own. Mr. Garrick, I believe that's the first completely honest thing you've ever said to me. How perceptive of you, Commander. I loved that scene. Yeah. If you hadn't yep. used that, I, I wanted to talk about it for a while, just because yeah. this is fantastic. Like, I love intimidating Cisco. The only thing I wish that they had done is, is if... Uh... If he had gone, Commander, this is extortion, and Cisco had gone, no, it's blackmail. <laughs> it's not blackmail, though. Ugh. It's it's ex like it. That's you got it backwards. Blackmail is when he has like a like so, like when he knows something about Garrick and threatens to expose it. This is right. Everybody right. knows something about Garrick. Yes, or they think they do. Yes. Which is good, but I mean, seeing seeing the Obsidian Order guy, like not you know, like Garrick, what are you doing? I thought you were on our side, and then like the other guy, I don't know, it was cool. I like that. I'm on nobody's side but my own man. <laughs> but he's we so cool. We still don't know what his deal is. Like we don't know. Nope. Is he exiled? Because they is he a, like is he exiled? Is he a good guy? Yeah. Like, who's like where are his loyalties? I mean, he, I mean, he helps us, but he just shot that guy in the fucking face. No, no, he 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 like vaporized him. Like the guy. Yeah. There's no trace of him now. He's nope. just gone. What a pity. I rather liked him. Yep. And it just it makes me wonder because we've established all this Cardassian stuff going on, like. 
like their oppressive government is becoming too much and they're starting to be a resistance against that. Like Quark's mm-hmm. girlfriend was in the resistance and mm-hmm. this uh, this legate dude also is like you, you get a sense that there's a big struggle coming for this planet. And you kind of mm-hmm. wonder where Garrick fits into all that. And you just don't know. Yeah. And I do like seen... that the central command types tend to be more attuned to that. It seems like... like it seems like the government authorized the military to have too much power, and now they're realizing that and kind of regretting yeah. it. And they're yeah, yeah like the, the, a lot of them are. Uh, there's an upcoming episode, not to spoil anything for the view, that's really focuses on the military versus um, intelligence um, right conflict on uh, Cardassia, and it's it's yeah. a hell of a good one. Yeah, that nice. that but that whole situation, I didn't realize. Like, I know it comes up later in various forms. I didn't realize the seeds were there from like season one on. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's been hints of this from the beginning, and it's a very nice because yeah, you couldn't have an Orwellian culture that was just perfect and conformist and never like if the people had any free will whatsoever, they wouldn't stand for that forever. No. Eventually and, that kind of thing's gonna fall apart, and it's nice that we're seeing the, the cracks in that now. And it fits in with the main government operative who we've seen this entire time being Ducat, who's clearly a guy who looks out for his own business. Right. Yeah. If and they're so all, now if we they see all act the way he's he does, able to then, rise yeah. to such a position of authority in a right. government that's falling apart and full of you know corruption and nepotism and yeah. And if the way the system's supposed to work is that everyone falls in line and serves the state, but everyone's actually out there serving their own interests, then it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of the Soviet Union in there, for instance. Like it's mm-hmm. very what you know, on Star Trek? Don't be ridiculous. I know. It's yeah. never really come up before. You're crazy. That's crazy talk. You know, Cardassia was invented in Russia. Invented. Uh, invented, of course. Shut up, Chekhov. <laughs> Make me. I'm I just want to keep I just want to keep <laughs> that alive. That uh shut up Chekhov. Shut up, Chekhov. <laughs> uh this was Waming Wu winner. <laughs> uh, actually Flunk brought it up last week when he was talking about how uh, he hated the Ferengi. So yeah, we, Indeed we are That's true. We are keeping that going. I did it is mentioned on your TV tropes page that uh, you guys really hate Chekhov and keep talking about him. Oh yeah, that was that was in in my notes here to mention (laughs) this that uh, we Mm. we have a a page on TV tropes now. Yeah, uh, which is pretty fucking cool. So go check that out. Add to it if you wish. Please, because so far I'm the only one who has. Yeah, no, I I can't. Like it's one of those things. I I, no, I don't blame you for not. Yeah, I I, I just threw a little thing together, and it's. uh, I figure yeah, if you... it gets, it's got a link on it, so if it gets a few people uh, looking into it. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. link to it on yeah. some trope pages and what have you. Excellent. Uh, awesome. Thank you. Much, much appreciated. Yeah. Uh, what else about this episode? They mentioned that uh, Kira's fake mom, her Cardassian mom, uh, was an inquisitor at a university. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've got those That kind of fascinated me. Like, what, what, what is that exactly? I was wondering it's about like that myself. an inquisitor at a bank. There's an inquisitor at the uh, yeah. dog show. Yep. <laughs> But Actually, if, I feel like universities are a good place to have an inquisitor. That's where you're going to get a lot of uh, uh, free thought. Opinion. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> can't have that. No, got to nip that right in the bud. Yeah, hit it early when you can. Yep. Actually, that's just what they call faculty advisors. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the more we talk about it, the more it makes sense. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. I'm just trying to think of how they make it seem innocuous. Mm-hmm. Oh, she was just an inquisitor. I, was, I, I don't think they do have to make it seem innocuous. I think that the Cardassians are just used to seeing inquisitors everywhere. I guess that's true. I guess they just live in constant fear, and that's that's the way it goes. At the local fish juice <laughs> shop. <laughs> well, who doesn't love fish juice? I could go for fish juice right now. to get her to drink it. <laughs> I mean, knife goes no, in, were... guts come out. <laughs> no, they made her half bread. Oh, right. The, br- the brine burrito. <laughs> yeah, the briny taco of... Uh... Yeah. Oh, and I there like was that a they scene. said it's only good when it's hot because I sort of always imagined Cardassians eating and drinking everything cold. Well, because yeah. we think of them as lizard people. Mm-hmm. 
cold-blooded, I guess. They're not really. I, I mean, we we can really just think about them as that because of their scales. Nothing about them is particularly. Yeah, there's that. I don't That's know the, the way thing. they the way they carry themselves. Like the way Ducat and Garrick act is sort of lizardy to me. Yeah, but they're not cold-blooded. You don't ever see them lying on a rock. Oh, no, I'd like to. No, and they do and have, they all have hair and money. boobs. Well, yes. they don't all yeah. have boobs, but you know what I mean. Yeah. All the all the women and senators do. Yeah. <laughs> there was a there was Here's a scene where, was, uh, specifically designed to highlight them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um. Yeah. It was what, like what did they all they surgically give her like did they give her a boob job when they were doing this because she seems a little chestier than usual. I think, Here's this, I think this is the thing that comes up in Nana Visitor's wardrobe because like every time they alter her costume. Uh-huh. Uh, every time, like the Bajoran uniforms get redesigned, like everything gets a little lifted and emphasized. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, every time true. she gets a new uniform, it's it's slightly tighter than the last one. <laughs> Same thing happens to Odo. He got that belt. Yeah, that's yeah. true. To show off his uh, why, why does, it, does a guy does a guy need a belt to keep his pants up when his pants are a part of him? I ask myself well, that question every day. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to see the list of questions you ask yourself every day if that's on there. I bet it's really uh, extensive. It's terrifying. Right I next bet. to your bathroom mirror. Uh, you know, it's but, like every day you wake up screaming, who am I? Like we all do. Yeah. Do you sure. smash your mirror when you see your own <laughs> reflection? Because oh. uh, Kira punching the mirror and then crying because her hand hurts. Yep. Yep. That was... Uh, who well, could have predicted? Is, that is very in character for Kira. Mm-hmm. Do it, go, flying off the handle and doing something rash and then reacting that she's suffering because she did something rash. Yep. Ah! But but Matt and I both had the same note. Don't smash the mirror. Don't. God damn it. Like, well, she goes over to the mirror very de- very slowly and deliberately. Yeah, it's supposed to be where she, like this would usually be the beat where she finally starts questioning reality. Like, am I a Cardassian? Really? Mm-hmm. Look at myself. And instead, no. she just goes, Ah, a Cardassian punch. Yeah. <laughs> I th- I thought that Cardassian was holding a bone. I wanted to eat. <laughs> the moment after that no, is really nice, though, where her uh, fake dad comforts her. No, and the yeah, thing is, right. like I said, this whole situation is utterly ridiculous and contrived, but but yeah, the relationship, the core relationship between her and her fake dad is genuine and sweet. I like well, that bit at the end where he's like, uh, so good. unless I find my daughter, you're the only family I have. And I kind of wanted her to go, eh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm not going to be inviting you over to dinner or anything. Yeah, I mean, I clearly don't know how to make Hasperat. Oh, so. Do we have yeah. to exchange uh, gratitude day presents now? Oh, great. Now I have a third Christmas. Fantastic. <laughs> and there's this, there's this like family heirloom, like bracelet thing that he wants to give her when he thinks he, she's his daughter. And now like, he still thinks she should have it, which is kind of sweet. Mm-hmm. Like it's, uh, you know, and without really spoiling anything, cause I won't say under what context or, or what happens, but, uh, he will come back. Yes. Which is cool. Hooray. It's always nice when yeah. they remember characters from other episodes. This show mm-hmm. does that better than, than any other Star Trek show did. I think. Oh, definitely. Yep. I mean, it, it came up a lot watching Next Generation. I was like, eh, I wish they would have brought this guy back. Well, the, the th- the, they kept the moving is, around. The, yeah. The thing is, the characters are all so great that you, I, you, you keep wanting to see what they've been up to. You yeah. Know? And this was like a good the, relationship uh, that you could definitely explore further. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, totally. But, uh, yeah. So that that's pretty much all I had. What about you guys? Yeah. Uh... And I also like seeing, you know, Kira continuing to soften on Cardassians. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is similar to Duet in that now she's realized, you know, and, and also the Garrick moment, like when he's part of the people rescuing her, she kind of gives him a look like, mm, like Garrick? I, I wouldn't have figured you for this. No. Which was nice. I like the Not Garrick that... when the guy uh, pulls the tiny gun out at the end, he literally just explodes him. 
Yep. Yep. Just, and doesn't stun him, but just just obliterates him. Well, we talked about this. The Cardassian guns have stun settings. I don't do think they, they need do. Them? I, I don't know. Not. You figure if the government executes you and did it for a good reason. Yeah, but they. I would think they would have some sort of cattle prod setting, some sort of like you know torture setting, or at the very well, least something that would leave a body for them to uh, have. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because you want to you want to put it up for an example for the others. Well, and the guy says they save everything. Well, that's true. Plus, plus you can't interrogate a corpse. You want to put it on Cardassian TV. Know, vapor. I bet you could. I bet you could interrogate a corpse. I bet someone's done it. Hey, buddy. Yep. How you doing? Did you kill that guy? <laughs> Are you dead? Uh, right. yeah, I did. I mean, I would show you the evidence, but uh, you know how our guns work. Uh, anyway, I did kill yeah. him. Where's my bonus? Oh. <laughs> What? He's well, alive? What? 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 It's probably just somebody who's uh, surgically altered to look like him. Yeah, no, that's probably. impossible unless they're a Bajoran. Yeah. Or uh, O'Brien's old friend who <laughs> was actually also secretly a Cardassian. Yep. Well, apparently you can just shave those bumps right off. You wouldn't think so. He yeah. was hiding all of his ridges under his mustache. Ah, yep. Yeah, that, that explains it. Mm -hmm. All right. I think it's time to press forward unless you guys oh, have... Uh... One last point. Odo was a bag. Odo yes. was a bag. According to Memory Alpha, Odo was a bag. Everybody had a second skin in this episode, and Odo's was bag. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for not reading too deeply into this episode, Memory Alpha. <laughs> what is Still this? better. Because Cisco had his, oh, the, 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 the hologram thing that they put on the screen. That was kind Yeah, of they have like a, a, a hollow mask thing, which is cool, mm -hmm. except they used it this one time and never again. Um, no. they mentioned it in other episodes, but they never bother showing it. It's like too much effort to match the actors' mouths. Up well, it's like the uh, it's yeah. like the Enterprise separating. They always talk about how they could do it, and then they don't. Or like the uh, early next gen uh, hologram view screen. Oh yeah, that they oh, used yeah, in season thing. one, and then never again. Yeah, it's too expensive. Yeah, which is but too so bad. That was it's... Cisco's second skin, and then Kira's is obvious, and then yeah. Odo's was bag. So yes, yeah, Odo was a bag. <laughs> I think that's all we need to say about that. So, all right. Uh, yep. Back when we when we're doing the episode guide for this one, and we're like, wait, which one was second? You know, Odo is a bag, of course. That'll that'll just be our like shorthand for that. Uh, so pushing forward to the abandoned, the ab abad abandoned, the abandoned, abandoned, abandoned. The Brian, abandoned. if you please. Okay. Well, it's another fine evening at Uncle Quark's family feed bag, and the proprietor is engaging in a business transaction with some anime lady. With his usual aplomb, he negotiates for a pile of Gamma Quadrant garbage and pays higher than her initial asking price because she touched his ears. Well, this may seem stupid, but remember Rule of Acquisition 244. Hoes before CFOs. <laughs> well, it, it sounds better when the Nagus says it. Hoes before CFOs, Quark! There you go. You may have been wrong, Brian. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, inside his hunk of space junk, uh, his, I'm sorry, inside his space hunk of space junk, Quark opens what appears to be some sort of industrial waffle maker and finds a baby. Here we go again. Well, here we go for the first time. But it has that tone about it, you know? <laughs> Regrettably, this episode wasn't directed by Leonard Nimoy, so we don't get to see Quark, Rom, and Morn have a wacky series of misadventures learning to change diapers and hiding heroin from Odo. <laughs> Instead, Sisko takes a liking to the kid, who's adorable and cuddly and not dating a 30-year-old Dabo girl. Ah, they grow up so fast. Literally, in this case, as the child reaches the approximate age of 8 or 10 in the space of a space day. After checking to see if Counselor Troy is on the station, remember that episode? You do now. Ugh. Julian runs some tests and finds out that not only is the kid exhibiting signs of what they in the medical field call growing like bonkers fast, he's also missing a key enzyme, 
He's also apparently missing a soul, judging by the way everyone reacts when they find out that he's a... Drummle, 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 drummle... Jem'Hadar! And now that he's an angsty teenager, that's the cue for the episode to do the old protagonist switcheroo again and hand the reins over to Odo. See, the kid won't attack him because he's genetically wired to revere changelings, and Odo, given how he was raised, doesn't want to turn him over to the scientific authorities. They're going to put him in a cage! Odo starts caring for the boy despite challenges like his violent nature, his constantly changing size and apparently changing wardrobe, and his need to rub up on force fields. Well, everyone on Star Trek shares that last one. Odo tells the kid that they're not so different, he and I, and he can beat up mopey-faced aliens on the holodeck as long as he stops punching people outside. This can only end well. Pretty soon, everybody starts pointing out to Odo that his new friend is basically a killer robot. Kira, Sisko, O'Brien, Rom, Garrick, Nog, that butt-faced guy from the first scene, the holodeck punching bag, Grilka wife of Quark, the magician, the outrageous Okana, Buck Bokai, Khan, Min... Boomhauer. But Odo's not having any of it from any of these people. The boy will learn to be peaceful. They're going to go on fishing trips. His name will be Odo Jr. The kids can call him Oju. But Oju is on their side and steals a runabout to go out and seek new life forms and new civilizations and punch them. And, well, that's it, really. But hey, at least Jake's relationship is on solid ground. Sirak Lofton appears all over this episode. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> Uh, so, first of all, uh, Matt also made the Three Men and a Baby reference, but you correctly remembered that it was directed by Leonard Nimoy. Yes, it was. Bringing it back I to also, Star Trek uh, land. I also was unaware that it was about hiding heroin. Yeah, I yeah that's the main plot that. of the movie, is that, um, they're, uh, what's Ted Danson's friend says he's gonna drop off a package, and they all think it's the baby, but it turns out to be some heroin that none of them noticed. <laughs> ah! That is a weird-ass movie. <laughs> Well, don't you hate when that happens? Well, and then uh, presumably they escalated that in Three Men and a Little Lady when it was... Uh, uh, no, crack, that was about I them guess? trying to... What is this? Like, stopping the, the girl's mother from getting remarried so that the kid wouldn't have to go to a boarding school? That sounds about right, yeah. Yeah. I guess... Uh, I'm I, guessing, like word, I, guess uh, I feel like the word Duchess appears in it somewhere. Morn would Probably. be uh, the Ted Danson because uh, he's a ladies' man. Because and, of his forehead. Uh, Rob would be the Steve Gutenberg for obvious reasons, so I guess that makes mm. Quark Tom Selleck. Sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, I could see Quark rocking that mustache. I had a weird conversation with Borrowed myself while I, was, while I was doing my notes on this. That went from what? So is Quark Tom Selleck? Wait, was Tom Selleck in Free Three Men and a Baby? How would Tom Selleck look in Ferengi makeup? <laughs> I actually forgot for a second. I was like, it's either Tom Selleck or Burt Reynolds. It's some mustache guy from the 80s. Yeah, it, it was it was a mustache haver. I knew that much. They would, Or my dad, because my dad looked pretty much like that in the 80s as well. Um, I think they would just orange right over the mustache, a la uh, uh, the Joker, Cesar Romero. The Joker, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, I don't think he would shave it off. Also, Brian, uh, one of your best jokes in here didn't translate to audio, which is you spelled Jem Hadar with about 30 apostrophes. I, I was writing Jem Hadar and I forgot where the apostrophe goes. I knew there was only one, so I just sort of threw him in everywhere. Yeah. Jehemadar. Let me let me look up. I'll, I'll explain it for Help. the listeners. It's J apostrophe E M apostrophe H apostrophe A D two apostrophes A R. Thank you. Much much obliged. Because otherwise, you know, the, the great joke lost, and we can't have that. It's kind of like when I did Jordy Unchained, and I spelled it with a D. Oh, right. Or anytime I write a Nick and Willikin script, and I fill it with fake English spelling. And and <laughs> yeah, I do that too. Like, but I put color and flavor, and Matt thinks it's correct. Yep. So. That's because yeah. he's from Godless Canada. Yep. Which is what they're called, actually. Like, that's the yeah. official name. Like, it's on their money, Godless Canada. It's pretty great. Born and raised. 
Yeah. Trinor strong and free. And and yet you're leaving to move to America. Yeah, well, you know. For one some of us. Love will do weird things to a man. It all started when you pronounced about correctly last week. Yep. Ugh, that happens God. sometimes. It's, it's Regrets. Yeah. Well, I was raised on American TV. So are you saying you're sorry? I'm a, I am sorry. No, you just said sorry. Wait, is that the right way or not? <laughs> I'll never tell. Now I'm lost and scared. I'm not going to say for Hale John what Wayne's I wrote was wrong. Matt, I am not going to help you cheat on your citizenship test. You're going to have to do this on your own. Oh, no. So this episode... <laughs> while this while this may not end up like on any top ten list or anything, this is one of the most well constructed, really just, there's, solid. There's a lot yeah. of layers going on. There's a lot of like this means something to this character, but it also means this. And just mm -hmm. I, I was so impressed with the way it was just it was put together. Yeah, and it looked like it was written by a, a couple of spec writers. Like it wasn't one of the usual guys. It wasn't yeah. Ron Moore mm -hmm. or uh, Rene Echevarria or uh, Peter it's Allen Fields. Uh, or yes, thank you. <laughs> Wait, Fields, Peter Allen, Arbergenois? Yes. Arbergenois. Oh. Um, no. I, I, think, I think that makes sense, though, because spec writers can occasionally, I mean, sometimes they'll write very generic episodes where everybody's being their generic selves, but occasionally you'll get a spec writer who will write an episode that does real character stuff because they They're super passionate about the characters. To, yeah, exactly. But on the other hand, like, one of the things I think they did really well is establish the Jem'Hadar. Like, oh, and in yeah. fact, this was, this was my good thing. This is a fantastic way to give us a ton of information about them without framing it as some boring expository speech. Yeah, exactly. This is like a number one lesson in show, don't tell. Like you get a character we actually kind of latch onto and you learn about the culture through them. And so now we understand this enemy character way better the next time they show up. We're like, yeah. oh, they're genetically engineered. They're hooked on this drug. I get it. Yeah. Now. Like that's, that's so much cooler. No, we get, we, they basically found a way to, to lead us through the Jem'Hadar's entire biology which Without is just having a Jem'Hadar show up and be like, yeah, we do this and we're addicted to drugs and yeah. whatever. Yeah, and, and they, these have, things... they find out about the addiction because Julian looks at the kid and is like, uh, he'll die if he doesn't get this compound, which is impossible yeah. to replicate. Right, and the reason he's like being even more forceful against the force field than, than most people are. It, like charging head by our standards that's saying something yes <laughs> i love how just belligerently determined he is just like throwing him like slam dancing into the force field yep like i'll wear this thing down i love that but the fact the, the reason that he's being a little more cracked out than usual is because he's addicted to drugs he's pretty cracked out yeah which i i just i like that and i like so many aspects of like the way the gem hadar is really well thought out i think mm. and but what i'm saying is it's weird to me that they would give such a big narrative, like filling in the blanks, uh, uh, job to spec writers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that seems like something that uh, one of the showrunners should be. Uh, yeah, taking care of. And maybe know? they, maybe some one of them did an uncredited punch up or something. I don't know. Yeah, but, uh, but it's still interesting because we know, having seen the rest of the show, that a lot of the the things that are established here come up later. Yeah, they, they like, like this very is very important. It, it, yeah. I mean, like you said, it might not make it into the top 10, but it's definitely a very important episode. No, and just as a writer, I just, I really respect how well constructed it is. Like I say, Absolutely. on a on a revealing plot level, but also on a, a character level, Odo's got this thing where he he's like, this is the first big Odo episode after he's seen his people and realized what they're all about. So first of all, he's got these new quarters where he's he can spread out and, and shapeshift like mm -hmm. he got something good out of it. But yeah. he also doesn't want to be a bad guy like they are. And he's got this, it's echoed very well in the way he treats this Jem'Hadar kid because he doesn't want this kid to become evil the way his people are. And, and he never right. just comes right out and says, because my people are evil, I want him to not be, because I was raised in a lab. I mean, he says right. it, but it's not like 
you know, he says no, it, it and, and he expects that people will understand what he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And something you mentioned, Matt, that that this character is just different now, like his experience changed yeah, him. And it should have, you know, he's gone through this huge thing where he finds out that he's finally found his people. Yeah. And and that's what he was evil. all about prior to this was the mystery yeah. of his people. Who am I? And now it's yeah. shifted to, well, I know who I am. I don't like it. I don't want to be that anymore. How can I be something else? But also, yeah. how can I take what they taught me? Yeah, because it, some like, some things right, they taught like me about my basic to nature. Improve his uh, shape shifting and all that stuff. Yeah. That he got yeah. from them. The fact that he doesn't have to go into his bucket anymore and, is a and, major thing. And the fact that he was always the most unexpressive, the most undemonstrative, and he makes a point of teaching the kid to smile. Like, yeah. it, it, you can, you feel like he they're came back terrible from... They're terrible at it, but... Well, yeah, they're, they're horrible at it. But... I would like to point out that there's nothing in the world more adorable than Odo smiling, actually. <laughs> I agree, <laughs> but... It is cute. I feel like it was never a priority for him to show emotions until he came back from them and realized... Mm. I think my humanoid friends have 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 it together more than these guys. I want to be more like them. Maybe I should smile more. And they've made some yeah. nice little tweaks to his makeup this season. That like his he's able to show a little bit through like his so to speak eyebrows now. Yeah. Um. I don't know if it's just that they put on the soft eyebrows for certain scenes, or if he's actually able to you know manipulate them from under the makeup. But um, yeah, it might be that uh, that the actor like has become more expressive in the makeup too. Like that's also having, true. Yeah. Having worn it for three years, he might. Through it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But no, I, I've noticed like from season one into season two and then two into three, they make him slightly more human. Like he still looks like Odo, but it's like he's getting it a little more right than he did before. Yeah. Still can't do ears, but. Right. Well, ears are hard. Look at look at an ear sometimes. Yeah. And, it is. and he spends half yeah. his time with Quark. So that's throwing his balance way off. <laughs> and he never sees his ears because they're on the sides of his head. That's, that's true. Point. He might think they're perfect. He he tried to look in a mirror, but uh, Kira had already broken it. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, and and it's weird because the mirror was in a bag and he was the bag. <laughs> but just there, there's a lot. Layers. There's a lot going on. Like like Cisco when he sees the baby, you get this great look into Cisco the dad. Like yeah, first of all establishing how he's completely not like Kirk and Picard. Like he he sees a kid and he's like <clears throat> loves kids. Yeah, his paternal instinct kicks in and I love that about him. Like because mm -hmm. we've seen him be a good dad, he likes kids. And, but then beyond that, now he's got this in his head. Like I. I he even says, I miss taking care of Jake. I miss yeah. being a dad and being the one with all the answers and being the one to, to pick him up when he falls down. And now he can take care of himself and it's just not yep. the same. And then that's echoed in the B plot of Jake being all grown up and him not knowing anything about Jake anymore. Like it's, yeah. it's just, it's really well put together. And I love that whole subplot of Jake dating the Dabo girl and Cisco not approving and kind of coming around on it. Like that was great. Mm -hmm. too. It was a good subplot and it tied in nicely and, I don't know, I feel, I, I guess because it was Specs and not um, uh, staff writers, the initial feel I got from it was, well, this was a B-plot they had waiting in their B-plot pile for when they needed one. Well, yeah, but he it, mentioned offhand the, the Dabo girl and she's going to come to dinner sometime like a year ago. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, but it ties in very nicely, so I don't know, maybe they just saw that plot thread hanging out there and decided to pick up on it. But And uh, I'll say this, I think that it uh, assuaged a lot of our ooky feelings about Jake dating a Dabo girl because they explicitly state their ages as 16 and 20 which isn't a giant difference especially in the future and well and it's, we a don't... It, it's a little weird it's still it's still it's just because he's still a weird. teenager okay they, they use a... the opportunity to expand his character talk about how he writes poetry mm -hmm. they talk about yeah, how Jake... she was like raised on bajor with her brother and sister and 
Jake the Aspiring Writer is a definite, like, big turn in his character that's going to be yeah. significant later, and it's nice to that's see the groundwork. That's super important. Yeah. And the fact that it came out of, a, like you said, the fact that something that affects his character so dramatically came out of a spec script. Well, and first of all, the B-plot isn't stupid, looming, deadly danger. Yes. No. Second of all, great. it thematically ties into what's going on, but third of all, it develops the characters. Like, we know mm. more about Jake now, and that's great. Like It's I, like, and his I like the girlfriend. idea of them going... Yeah, yeah, oh my god. Holy god. The 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 teaser scene in the beginning was it yeah, it was the teaser scene. Yeah, it was. Um yeah. where she's at the Dabo table and she's wearing like I mean, first of all she's she's like well equipped in the first place. She got them yeah. fangs. But she's wearing one of them push-up wonder bra things and just there's cleavage upon cleavage there. It's yeah. just insane. Just and then piles she the stuff. Walks mm-hmm. over to her teenage boyfriend and like, "Oh, good for you, Jake." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That's as O'Brien more or less actually says later on. Like, yeah, it's just yeah, going Good for him. Doing a date on a double girl at 16. Good lord. We've, we've been doing this great thing over the past year or so where Cisco sort of uses O'Brien as a sounding board for parenting stuff. Yeah. Because they're both dads. It's very different situations, but they're both dads. <laughs> and and he kind of expects O'Brien to be on his side, and O'Brien's mm-hmm. like, oh, good for him. Yeah. yeah. Nice well, one. Molly's dating Nog, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a, here's a thing I just thought of, too. Okay. And this is one of those stupid nerd things, but hey, this is a stupid nerd show. Um, on Bejor, the the uh, a day is twenty six hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a year, presumably, is is actually a little longer. So maybe yeah. a twenty year old there is actually younger than a twenty year old on Earth. I can no, see that she'd actually be older because twenty years would give her two extra. Or oh yeah 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 extra. you're right. Extra oh, two no. hours a day. Do we know? Nice well, do we know one, how you long the war is? That's that's the that's true. We, we don't. Pro- we but, could probably find that out. But easily. we know it's not the same as Earth's. Is my point. Yeah. yeah. We've established that their hours are different, so their years are probably different too. So twenty there might be sixteen on Earth. Is well, what the, I'm saying. They've got twenty six hours in a day, but they only have thirteen days in a year. So <laughs> right. <laughs> so she's Hold actually on, only slow like down. I only just got used <laughs> to twenty years. <laughs> So really, it's Jake who's the gross one. No, really, it's Quark who's the gross one for hiring a an underage Dabo girl to, yeah, to parade now, around and cleave this out to me that she's twenty and he's sixteen. So there's only four months age difference between them. <laughs> <laughs> now here, have some jambalaya or spicy crawdads. I don't know something. I don't see the problems here. <laughs> uh, Brian, what was your good thing? How, how does Cisco manage to cook? There's a lot of measuring involved. Well, I I figure like we haven't actually met his dad chronologically but we you know we all remember the character he seems like one of those a pinch of this and a handful yeah, of that kind of guys like uh, i don't see him following a book oh definitely not so anyway, it still works what was your good thing brian uh my good thing i gotta say massive props to the casting department on this one as uh they hired bumper robinson the amusingly named uh character actor to play the troubled teenage trooper he gives a great performance which can be very difficult when they try to cast young or adolescent versions of aliens with distinctive behavior patterns Oh, For yeah. more on this, see almost every young Vulcan and Klingon ever. Mm. More than that, however, I have to assume his casting is also a reference to the cult classic film Enemy Mine, where he played a fast-growing child of a warlike reptilian race who was raised by a human, despite the human race being at war with his kind, and learns to respect them while still honoring the traditions of his people. Also, he was Bumblebee on Transformers. Well. See, I thought Bumblebee was played by a radio. <laughs> No, no, that's, that's the, Michael that's Bay the bad Bumblebee. Transformers. He played Bumblebee on the good Transformers, and I don't know who played him in the Transformers, Alex. Ah. Uh, well, it wasn't Michael Bell, who was Grappler Zorn, but uh, he was all over that show. But it was it was the same guy who did the... Ah, fuck, I don't was it, remember. Was it Never Casey mind. Kasem? 
No, it was that was Cliff Drum. It was a, I, they, they were the same toy, only painted different colors. So, uh, they were slightly different, but oh yeah, similar. the Cliff Jumper had a spoiler. Right. They both had the little horns, though. Yes, yes, they did. Because there were some miscolors that they called like Bumble Jumper. It, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Bumble sorry. Jumper? Bumble Jumper is the yes. best Transformer name. There ever. was like there where they used the, the the Bumblebee mold and they painted it like Cliff Jumper. That was like, or some people called it Bumper. Or just... I suppose that's better than like Bumper Robinson. Yes. No wonder See, it they all, cast him it for all, Transformers animated. Com- that actually might have been a, like the big nerds who did that. Probably, you know. Mm. He also played uh, Dwight on that. Futurama back in its uh, uh, Fox days before they moved to Comedy Central and just Dwight, had who was uh, uh, who Hermes was son. Um, Hermes' son, right? Yeah. Who right. had the paper route with? Um, yeah. Uh, I think yeah. he was on like two or three uh, uh, Fox episodes, and then uh, when they brought it back for Comedy Central, it was Phil Lamar. Well, they they barely remembered that uh, Farnsworth had a kid, much less. Uh, yeah, Hermes. literally, those two only showed up when they were directly relevant to the plot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, you're right. It was good casting. Like he yeah, played yeah, a good impetuous like, teenager, like dangerous, angry. Like he 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 pulled up that off really well. I thought. Yeah, like think of every teenage Klingon you've ever seen. They tend to be pretty awful. Mm-hmm. Um, I the example I was thinking of hasn't happened yet, but yes. Are you thinking of? Uh, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Sounds Angela like Alexander. this. Yes. <laughs> Lives in a closet. Yep. Well, with Alexander, it's sort of okay because he was like raised by humans and all, so he has an excuse. But I was like a little Duras when he showed up in that episode, like the, the petulant teenage Duras. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, we Doris. Yeah. That kid was awful. <laughs> we Doris. Yeah. We Doris. Duras. We Doris. We Doris. Yes. <laughs> Lunch lady, we Doris. <laughs> we baby Doris. Now I'm thinking. <laughs> now I'm thinking of like the Lunch Lady Doris sisters trying to take over the Klingon Empire. Lunch Lady Doris has a different name on The Simpsons now. Apparently, yeah, it's, it's Lunch Lady Dora now. Yeah, because she's not played by Doris Grow anymore, so they changed her name without telling anyone. Yeah, that's... yeah. They well, they brought the character back after they retired her for like ten years because the person who played her died. Yeah, right. Now she's Tress McKean. So are we gonna look? Are we gonna look forward to an Edith Krabappel in twenty years? <laughs> or a um. A uh, like a Trace McClure. Yeah, I, I found this out. Um, Marsha Wallace was credited as Miss Krabappel even in episodes where Miss Krabappel didn't have a speaking role. Huh? If she showed up on screen, Marsha Wallace got screen credit and payment. Nice. Oh, good for her. Yeah, because they they, they felt that and they always offered her like you know lead role, but she she chose to stay guest star for you know whatever mm. like legal tax reasons to go into that. Sure. Marshall Wallace was on uh, old episodes of Match Game, and, and I, I didn't know who she was until, like, she talked, and then she actually had the Krabappa laugh. Ha! But so they, it'd be um, like, Charles yeah. Nelson Riley would say something funny, and she'd go, ha! And like, oh, that's who that is. <laughs> so say The Simpsons has finally reached the point in its uh, 30-year run where uh, lead cast members are dying, so. Yeah. Well, let's be honest, Harry Shearer's no spring chicken. Well, so, he wasn't when they started. Yeah. But, uh, Anyway, we, we seem to be straying from uh, this, this it's quite weird, good episode. It's weird because it's a lottery episode. episode. So you yeah, fantastic episode. show up in bad ones. Yeah. But uh, this was, like I said, this was fantastic. Uh, that said, though, there were some bad things. There Brian were, yes. One. Uh, yes, well, the um, uh, the one that really stood out to me was that great scene we talked about in Quark's New Quarters. Um, it's in a great Odo's scene. There's quarters. great characters. Or Odo's Not New Quark, Quarters. Odo. Not Quark's. Yeah. I'm sure he comes over all the time, though. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. There's, uh, uh, in Oda's New Quarters, there's, uh, this great scene between him and Kira, but it's super hard to film because, you know, they, they put in all these nooks and crannies and paraphernalia and stuff for him to practice his shape-shifting, but there's this giant jungle gym right in the middle, 
and the, which set makes sense. Is, which makes sense, yeah. And the set's fairly small, which makes sense. You know, he's not yeah. a guy that needs a lot of living space. But there's nowhere for them to put the camera. And so they right. keep winding up shooting around this giant chunk of modern art that's uh, hanging around the middle. Yeah, uh, I mean, I... There's Avery all Brooks, these, like, uh, awkward close-ups and stuff, and obscured angles, and... Well, Avery Brooks uh, directed the episode, and he definitely directs, like, an actor. Oh, yeah, like, no, a lot, the, the, a lot the, more there's a lot of good choices more. over the rest of it, yeah. I mean... I'm, pick- but, I'm, but I'm I mean, naming this one specific scene instead of just saying the directing was lousy for a reason. Right. No, no, the directing was quite good. It's just they stuck <laughs> him, you know, with a with a with a set that wasn't really compatible with yeah. his directing style. And yeah, that was that was unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, what about you? Tell us a good thing. Uh, I really liked all the scenes with uh, Kira and Odo. You know, so we've you got really the, like, like we, Kira. I really like Kira, but like just, a lot. Uh, well, she's turning into an actual character now. Yeah, that's true. But if I were I to like, list like my favorite characters on the show, she'd be like sixth or seventh, I think. Like you're, you're like I really like Kira. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, and uh, the scenes with her and Odo, uh, when he's moving into his new apartment, which by the way, Odo's new apartment, I really like. Yep. It is. It is really great. Yeah. This is my new apartment. Yep. This is my fo- this is my autographed photo of Quark. <laughs> <laughs> so I can always keep my eye on him. <laughs> to my best, to my best friend Odo, your pal Kurt Connors. <laughs> uh, there's also a later one where uh, Kira comes in to talk to Odo about uh, about the, basically tra- how he appears to be basically training the Jem Hadar kid to, uh, to to fight people. Right. <laughs> yep. And you know, she gives him the whole. Well, get rid of him. Let 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 him go. Well, we yeah, get, Starfleet uh, wants to cart him away to a lab. Yeah. Why is this a problem? He's a bad guy. Yeah. And it, it's like, interesting to me that Kira would think that. Like, mm-hmm. the state taking a child away seems like a very Cardassian thing to do. You'd think she'd be against it. See, my thinking with Kira has always been that, like, she will fight against stuff like that, but only if it's for someone she views as one of the good guys. If it was a Bajoran uh, kid that they found, she, you, she'd be fighting tooth and nail to save that kid but yep it's a Jem'Hadar soldier therefore it's not a real person yeah i suppose that's true but therefore anything we can use against it is like anything we can learn from it is something we can use against it it's that terrorism or it's that ex-terrorist uh, mentality and the best thing about it is that in most episodes like the theme you know the feeling of star trek would be to like say that he's right and have this Jem'Hadar kid turn out to you know be a heart player or something right. yeah but that and the, at the end of the episode, Odo comes up to her, and the entirety of the conversation he has is, "You were right." Yeah, yeah. that was the that was the the line they ended on. Mm-hmm. Was the conversation they have where you were right? And like, and it's great, and it's it's kind of chilling coming from Odo too. It's it's the great moral ambiguity the show plays with, which yeah. is we our expectations of Star Trek from two series has been the good guys are going to win, and the 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 uh, and they can rosy make anyone of, agree with them if they have enough time. Even yeah, free, and the rosy view of board. humanity is going to win. Yep. Well, that's the thing is this plot hits so many of the same beats as I Borg did, but because Odo's so different from Jordy and because the Jem'Hadar are so different from the Borg, it turned into a very different story. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but plot wise, it was very similar. Down to Starfleet's coming and they want to do something with this kid, yeah. like you know, and even Admiral Nechev, like same uh, L- lurking in the wings, same catalyst. <laughs> Give me all along. Give him to me, Cisco. Yep. <laughs> she sounds more like Cartman every time you. Uh... <laughs> Damn it, Cisco! God damn it, Cisco! <laughs> oh, damn, Cisco! This is mad, Pat Pay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was what was your uh, bad thing, Matt? Uh, 
uh, I had a hard time finding a bad thing in this one yeah. in this episode. It's really good, but there's a scene when uh, when Oda's walking the Jem'Hadar kid back to their quarters. Uh, actually, after the uh, Kira Noto scene, uh, we see a bunch of people reacting to uh, seeing the Jem'Hadar kid. There is a dude in a gold uniform who sees him and basically looks like he's going to dive Scooby-Doo style behind a pillar to hide from him. <laughs> Jumps into the it's, arms of the guy next to him. Basically. It's, I, it's, it's a little thing, but good God. I will uh, say... Jem'Hadar. I will say I didn't love the directing in that particular point because they did a POV shot from the Jem'Hadar's well, point they of had, view. Well, they wanted mm -hmm. to conceal that he was a Jem'Hadar until, like, I get why they did that. Yeah, but it was sort of like a fisheye kind of effect and everyone yeah. reacting, like, running away. Like, I don't know. It was, it was well, there's also that guy who tries to challenge him to fisticuffs, too. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's some Bajoran guy who basically puts up his fists. Like Q. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, Q style. Yeah. And then Cisco goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, I, I did my good thing already, which was just that it was a great way to do the info dump without doing an info dump. Mm -hmm. uh, my bad thing, again, I, I also struggled to find a bad thing because, you know, just this is a fantastic episode. Uh, O'Brien refers to something the founders did, the whole hooking them on uh, the Jem'Hadar on drugs as cold-blooded, to which Odo replies, my people don't have blood. It's a metaphor, constable. Yeah, that's that's your real hacky uh, sci-fi thing. Um, yeah, uh, that's like a season one data reaction. Yeah. Or uh, they 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 would pull that kind of thing with Spock all the time. Also, yeah, um, and in the sixties you know, it was okay. Say like, well, uh, uh, better put our best foot forward. And Spock's like, Captain, both of my feet are of equal ability. Oh yeah, shut up, man. <laughs> if we play our cards right, how will playing cards help? Playing, shut up, playing Fizbin. Yeah. <laughs> But they, they did that, actually, they did a riff on that. The the line I just quoted, I believe, was Star Trek Four, which is mm -hmm. when Spock was becoming Spock again. Mm -hmm. And it was a nice it was a nice callback to, like, he doesn't really do that anymore. Like, the fact that he's kind of lost his marbles and he's kind of getting it back, like, he's doing that again, but he doesn't really act like that anymore. And it was a nice way to say, this character's come a long way. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's a, it's, it's a bit hacky. Uh, my name ain't Baby, it's Janet. <laughs> Miss Jackson, if you're nasty. Uh, the record will show that I am not. Yeah, you're not. Uh, so that's pretty much all I had. What about you I guys? I think so, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't think of anything uh, else offhand. It was just like a really good, really solid episode. Yeah, Absolutely. it was. Yeah. And, and like I said, it's because there are so many other great episodes that win me over with just a, a you know, a dazzling concept or something. This might en end up making like a, a list, but... That's what just... it is, because it's... it's, it's... It's not a great episode, but it's 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 well done. It's well constructed. It gives us important information. It develops the characters. Like, it's everything you want in a good basic episode. It doesn't yeah, half-ass anything. It picks up stuff from previous episodes and builds on it, and also establishes stuff that'll happen in later episodes. And like, it doesn't great. have like absolute greatness to it. I'd say as far as like real distinctive feel to it, even the last episode, which was a right. little bit more B minus. Uh -huh. um, yeah. Definitely has more of like a drive to it, but this one was it, was, it was good. It was fantastic. Yeah. Well, like I say, it feels like sort of the middle part of something. Yeah. Because Odo's sort of on a journey with, you know, his feelings about his people and all that. And it's it's sort of taking us to the next place. And, and yeah, as, as a middle episode, it's it's quite solid. It's not filler at all. Yeah, absolutely. No. It's quite good. Uh, did you have a quote for us, Brian? I did have a quote. This is uh, from when uh, Odo is uh, Cisco saying that they're going to bring the uh, Jem'Hadar to some specialists, and Odo uh, knows exactly what that means. I've just spoken with Starfleet Command. 
They want to make sure he's healthy enough to travel and then send him to Starbase 201, where he'll be handed over to a team of specialists. Sounds good to me. The sooner the better. What sort of specialist are we talking about, Commander? There will be a complete team of xenobiologists and exopsychologists waiting for him. So they're going to study him like a laboratory specimen. Well, he'll be very well treated. So he'll be a well-treated specimen. Yeah, that was nice, and they don't they don't pl- overplay that exactly either. Yeah, mm. like I made the joke in the summary, and it's it's a sure. line that I go back to because I find it hilarious. But when Moral Pole's like, they're going to put you in a cage. Yeah, they don't his... like go that far with it, but it's clearly what's going on in his mind. Like, and in mm. this case, they probably will. Yeah, and we know that that's that informs his character, like in things that he does. Like, he doesn't want that to happen to anyone else. I think it's come up before, mm-hmm. and and it's a it's a great way to again serve what he's been through before what he's going through now and just yeah fantastic yes uh one one final thing uh the voice of bumblebee was dan gilvezan oh i've heard that who, name on many who, who was cartoon. well he was also the voice of spider-man on spider-man and his amazing friends there you oh. go and the voice of spider-man on spider-man the animated series was chris barnes from the little mermaid mm-hmm. the guy that i called out in my little mermaid review as having a super boring voice <laughs> Well, I can't think of a lot of Spider-Men that have had like really nice, distinctive voices. They, they um, uh, the, the, 60s uh... Spider-Man. <laughs> I love 60s Spider-Man's voice. <laughs> it's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Wallop and web snappers. <laughs> Which is what does that what even he's mean? Yeah, what... I have no fucking idea. Not a clue. The uh, the spectacular Spider-Man had a good one. Was, uh, Josh Keaton. Yeah, he wasn't good. Mm. Have you seen that thing on YouTube where he reads off all those Spider-Man memes? Oh, oh yeah, Spider-Man voice. Yeah, that was that was good. Ah, Spider-Man sitting behind a desk. Ah. My favorite Spider-Man. Yep, good still times. my phone background. <laughs> All right, so as ever, you want to write to us, postatomichorror at Gmail. Website is postatomichorror.com. We have, uh, as as Brian mentioned, as he was gracious enough to set up a TV Tropes site now, which uh, I don't have the address handy, but go uh, to TV, TV Tropes and do a search for... dot blah, 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 garbage, slash podcast, slash postatomichorror. So just search Brian. for postatomichorror, go to their main podcast index. It's yeah. on there, too. Right. Yep. And uh, Brian, you want to promote your thing that you're doing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, doing, uh, as ever, my uh, uh, cartoon review blog. It's still at allthedisneymovies.blogspot.com. I started a new job last month and took a little bit of a uh, self-imposed hiatus, uh, but I've got enough of a uh, um, a backlog set up now that I can uh, say we'll be having weekly updates for a while. Uh, and it's convenient because I'm right in the middle of the uh, good Don Bluth movies. And uh, uh, Land Before Time is going to be going up soon and The Secret of Nim. Uh, because I if I had been on schedule uh, and kept to the schedule I was doing, then I would be forced to be advertising my reviews of Rockadoodle, A Troll in Central Park, and The Pebble and the Penguin now. Oh, uh, so head to allthedisneymovies.blogspot.com uh, <laughs> for some reviews of some good movies, and then there's going to be some real garbage coming up. <laughs> All right. Thumbelina, and with that... Titan AE, An American oh, Tale, Fievel Goes West. Wasn't Titan AE written by Joss Whedon? Uh, probably everything was at that time. Oh, fair enough. All right, Matt, get us out of here. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2014. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.